0: 1440 Cabin Fever Sessions, episode 3. Um, the aim of the podcast is to reach out to those struggling with addiction um, and to let them know that there's a new way of life. Me and my friends are all part of a 12 step fellowship, but that fellowship uh, wants to remain anonymous at the level of press and media. They're not allied with any sect, denomination, religion, politics, or any of that shit. So we won't be mentioning them by name, needless to say, if you are struggling, get online and look for a 12-step meeting in your area. My pleasure to introduce Stuart, a good friend of mine, who will tell you a little bit about his story, what it was like, what he did, and what his life's like today. So without further ado, I'll hand it over to you, Stu. Welcome, mate. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
1: good... uh Wherever you are, good morning, good <laughs> in the world. good evening. Wherever you are in the world, whatever the time of day is. Um, hello, my name's Stuart and I'm an addict. It's, uh, it's good to be here. It's, um, it's unimaginable, really. Uh, just another unimaginable thing in my life since since coming into recovery and, um, and going through the 12-step the process that was, that was outlined in front of me. You know, it's, um, it's not a scenario that I ever thought was would ever happen um let alone even something that could possibly happen but um yeah i'm I'm grateful to be here it's it's certainly something as i said that i I wouldn't have imagined but my life was so different not so long ago in the grand scheme of things and um you know as a result of being beaten into a state of willingness Mm -hmm. and in in a reasonableness because because i was so determined and 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 turns out deluded that i could sort of fix this myself Mm. um despite years of evidence suggesting that that just wasn't so um yeah i could do it myself but i was beaten into this state of, of reasonableness and just this sort of small gap in the door where i could just reach through and just just wave like a white flag and just be like help help like you know the lights and, and the whistles, like, I'm, I'm, I'm dying here and I need, I need help and everything that I've tried to do, you know, all of my little schemes and ideas and everything is just not working anymore. And, and you know, if I don't get help, like I do think that well, I now know, but at that point in time, I knew that if I carried on the way I was, I was going to die. Mm. And um, you know, waking up, if I had been to sleep knowing that I was going to drink and use that day mm. rather than the faint hope that I wasn't you know that that became my norm um, the thought that death would be the only escape from active addiction mm. was was absolutely there um, I'd like to think that' I'm, I'm relatively intelligent I, I you know I'm, I'm not I'm not going to be uh, a member of Mensa but <laughs> at the same time um, no, there's. I had something about me. I, I was relatively successful in my life in terms of like being able to like to get jobs and for a long period of time hold down jobs and you know, handle myself in in certain so, like in social situations or those sorts of things. But this just happened to be, and um, I I was even like googling like like suicide mm. methods like. the the industry that i work in i know how tech works and i know that tech is not going to tell me on a google search engine like how to kill myself but i I just that's that's where it took me in terms of in in my mind and um, then no i never could have imagined that it was gonna gonna take me there um and and it it was you know what i now know about addiction is it's a progressive illness and um sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly, you know, there, it, it was always sort of bubbling away under the surface in the background for, for a long, long time. But my external circumstances, whether it was um, possessions or prestige or anything like that, or you know, would tell me that, that the way that I drank or used wasn't an issue. Um, We've well, we got on holidays or I'm not homeless and I've got, a ho- I, Rented. I rented a flat and I have a partner, um, I'm able to buy like, nice things and all that sort of thing, so it can't be that bad, but um, the reality was that the first time I drank alcohol when I was 13 years old, was um, well it wasn't the first time I drank, but it was the first time I drank without parental supervision, and um, I drank alcoholically, I, I straight out of the gate, as much as possible, as quick as possible, which when you're 13, God knows, like, you know, I wasn't a big child, I was a small kid, just, like, just, straight through the series of a spree, blackout, waking up in hospital, and the first thought wasn't, God, that was scary, let's not do that again, it was like, what if I found myself in here, but then after that, like, piecing together the, you know, the the excitement the confidence that it gave me that 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 brief period before i went into blackout i was like i like that Mm. and um simple fact is that someone like me drinks or takes drugs because i like the effect that it produces and um i used to think that it was just the physical effect of it but the, the reality is that it's so much more than that it's 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 majority of it is between my ears Mm. and um when I sort of talk about like my early years and that internal state I think it's quite um it's been quite easy for me to sort of almost paint a narrative but I think the reality is that it wasn't as consistent as I imagined it to Mm. be but I was quite a frightened child um quite restless um very much in my own head at times mm. how much I can't tell you but it was almost like as if the world was a game and everyone was out there on the pitch playing, I was in the stands watching a lot of the time and sometimes I would find myself on that pitch and I'm in life and I'm doing life and I'm in the moment and I'm enjoying it and then my subconscious would be like uh-huh, what do you think you're doing? back on the stands you know? <laughs> back to overthinking, back to thinking that they're, they're laughing at you or that they're, they're judging you or that you're less than mm. and looking for the differences of, and why have they got that and I haven't and when I have got the things, the the, 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 the new shininess of it wears off quickly and then I'm looking for the next thing that's going to change the way forward, the next obsession and all those sorts of things. Um, and I was raised in like a loving household, you know, I'm an, I'm an only child. My parents loved me, they were present, they, they, you know, I, I, di- I didn't go without. Um, so then when alcohol came along and it just sort of just lit me up. But it wasn't that, as I said, I drank alcoholically that first time. Little did I know what it meant to drink alcoholically at that point in time. Um, and then through my teenage years, it was just teenage stuff. Um, Maybe some kids were like me, maybe some kids weren't you know I, I i did i didn't enjoy the taste of alcohol to begin with i i would I, I'd make bizarre choices <laughs> in terms of what what I would drink at times um but yeah there was that that curiosity was lit um and it, it as i said earlier, it did for me what I couldn't do for myself it took me out of myself you know I was on the pitch mm. um there was no one that was then going back in the stands. I was I was in it and I was living it and whether it was like, just, like, as I said, like, things like talking to girls or, mm-hmm. or you know, all of those sorts of things. It just, it just gave me what I felt I needed to, to be the person that I thought that I wanted to be or that I needed, I thought that the world needed me to mm-hmm. be. Because um, I could see other people doing life and, and doing life and. and not being held back like i was like quite popular i was relatively intelligent all those sorts of things but nothing was ever enough for me so Mm. when it came to sort of alcohol and later on drugs like that was like thing like that was like Mm. you know really sort of as i said it did for me what i couldn't do for myself and um there were consequences early on but they weren't really very big consequences in the grand scheme of things like getting told off and those sorts of things and um different drugs came on the scene at different times and and I I remember being anti-smoking. I'm not going to smoke come like 15 or 16. I'm like with the kids like smoking, not even enjoying it, but just doing it. Mm -hmm. And then weed came in and um, I was a terrible weed smoker. (laughs) So bad. Um, I couldn't roll. I would knock about with these kids and and I would sit in this bedroom in this bottom of I've already taken a hit of it and I, i'm not enjoying it um watching it get closer to me thinking just say no this time just pass it on but it comes around and it sits in front of me and i light it up and and, and i'm you know i have to do it and then i'm you know the physical effects it just didn't agree with me and um really the, the only reason i'd imagine that i really stopped that at that point in time the way i did was because of the fact that my parents found like my drug paraphernalia and I got such a rollick in, and it just was not worth it at that point in time. And, um, but yeah, my, one of my closest friends is, you know, is like me. So, you know, our behaviors normalize each other's in our minds in terms of the way that we would behave and, and mm-hmm. the effect that alcohol had on us. But other drugs came in like party drugs in like my late teens or early twenties and they were little terms of oh, oh, sorry they weren't this they were infrequent in terms of like how how regularly I use them and also the quantities at that point in time um, but I would take them with reckless abandon um, I wouldn't concern myself with where they came from how much should I take um, what could potentially happen to me and um, I mean thank God that I'm, I'm sort of here to tell them the tail so to speak afterwards because um yeah there was just no off switch for me and I, I, I didn't know why um I just thought I don't know maybe at the time it was maybe if there was a thought it was like I want to seem like I'm good at this mm-hmm. like take as, as much as possible <laughs> like where it is like a badge of honor um but like in my like early 20s um I had a couple of like unsuccessful relationships that um what unhealthy, like I was in relationships that like, I knew that I didn't want to be in, was like codependence at the core and felt like I absolutely needed these people despite the fact that I knew that I shouldn't be with mm-hmm. them and that, and that it was bad for me and it was bad for them um, and alcohol and drugs and, and what I would find myself doing or being involved with as a result of, of them things um, really harms those relationships as well, harmed the people that I was in relationships with. Um, professionally, um, I started working in London, um, first day they said to me at yeah, 11 o'clock, come on, we're going to the pub. And I didn't go to university and I thought, oh, I've I've made it. Mm. And um, I was in the big leagues with the big boys and I was a little boy that didn't know what he was doing and. Um, underneath that I didn't know what I suffered with so when other people had a couple of pints at lunchtime and then went back to, to work and there's me just, just drinking too much um, and somehow sort of holding down and performing quite well um, and then there was a, a situation where I, I got in a fight with a colleague um, in an, on an evening after being out seriously harmed my job prospects and then i had to move and it wasn't because of the actions that i'd done in my mind it was because of if that guy hadn't have done that then that wouldn't have happened and i would have got mm-hmm. this and all of that sort of thing um and over the course of like my 20s i sort of progressed professionally and earned more money and moved to different places and nothing was ever really enough and it was always when i get this or when i get that then i'm good then it's gonna be great and it's gonna be what i need or i'm gonna i don't know maybe i just felt like i would be enough when i got x and and i would achieve x and it would never be enough Mm. and um the whole time like my my drinking was ramping up or or at least the consequences of it were and um then I find myself in my late twenties, and I'm working in the West End, and um, I've got this amazing girl in my life that we're we're, um, we're in love, and we move in together. I'm earning more money than I've ever earned before, um, but I've got this this cocaine addiction, and I do awful things when I drink and use, mm-hmm. and um, I just like the, how have I got here doing all these things and um, the constant lies on a daily daily basis in terms of to myself to people around me um and I'm convinced that I can that I can stop it and i almost at a time where I, I want to be doing this this is what I want to do um, and then it becomes a daily thing and um and I've tried different methods to control so whether it was um I'll only buy one or I'll I'll buy a couple but then I'll hide one in a particular area of the house because then I'm not going to be able to go in and get mm. that um, and I find myself like sneaking in there like a cat burger in the middle of the night and all those sorts of things and um, you know I've got all these things around me that suggest from the outside and I should be happy but on the inside I'm absolutely dying mm. Um <laughs> I remember I went into a, a famous shop and um, I wanted to buy this this particular coat, it was a famous coat and um, I was obsessed about it for too many years and I remember putting this coat on and looking in the mirror and I looked at myself and I thought in my head I went you look the bollocks and then I turned to the other angle and looked at myself in the mirror I went you look like a dick. <laughs> still bought a coat Mm. and the next day I walk into the station and my head's going you look really cool and then like I'd look across and there'd be someone else just in their own world just going to work and I'm just thinking they think you look like a dick like my head there's Mm. like internal like warfare going on like and um so this is why as I said like this sort of gear is going on inside me it's why drugs and alcohol are just doing for me what I can't do for myself it just quiets it down and it um, gets to the jumping off point, oh, I can't do this anymore, it's been years, and the relationships with family are, are non-existent, um, they're when they are there. Um, I'm like long suffering partner like tormented that woman, mm. and I couldn't handle it, I was full of guilt, I was full of shame, I was full of remorse, and I would pledge to myself that I wouldn't do it again, I'd wouldn't do it again and I would because I didn't know what I suffered with I didn't know that I was unwell and I tried different things over the years I tried going to doctors and telling that I was depressed and that I had an anxiety and they would they would give me a prescription and then I would go back and I'd say it needs to be upped and I'd get to the point where I'm on a dosage that's so high that um, you know it, it could have made a couple of people happier than they were what I was putting in my body and how I was living my life, it wasn't gonna do anything for me and then I've been to therapy and I found therapy helpful in terms of with some of the life event stuff because we all have trauma but the traumatic events in my life didn't make me um an addict or an alcoholic. You know, simply what happens when I put a drug or a drink inside me determines whether or not I'm, I'm an addict and, and I have to you know I have to classify that for myself. Um, and my latest attempt before finally waving that flag was that I went to this therapist um through I was blessed that I had private healthcare through work as a benefit. So they they <laughs> I I chose like so I was working in the West End like I say, so they put me up, gave me these options and I chose the one that was like near Harley Street. It was like the road parallel to Harley Street, so God knows how much it's costing the insurer. So I talk, start talking to them about my trauma and all the rest of it. And then they find out that I take drugs and drink too much. So then they put me in front of their their drugs and alcohol specialist. And then I start meeting with her and she tells me her credentials and different places she's worked in drug and alcohol services and those sorts of things. And um, she was doing her best with you know, the, the knowledge that she had. Mm and I would go in there and she would ask me how much I'd used in my last week and I would lie and tell her a fraction
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then the next week I'd go in there again and I'd tell her probably a slight, slight number under that fraction and she'd go, oh that's good, try using a little bit less like next week and I would use before I'd even left the building because I didn't understand at the time that just, like, just tr- trying to use less is not on the menu for mm-hmm. someone like me so fast forward, like I say, I've, I've, I've waved the white flag and um, I, you know, I've, I've told, told my now wife that I'm a cocaine addict and that I, I can't stop using drugs and, and I want to go to rehab. And um, the reason I said I wanted to go to rehab is because my best friend had gone in there about three months earlier and I'd stood by his side when he went in there which one was supposed to be coming in. But <laughs> I just hadn't, hadn't, um, hadn't given up. I hadn't accepted. And my solution historically was throw money at things. Um, show intent. Mm. Gifts and those sorts of things. Rather than actions and being reliable and accountable and being emotionally available for someone. So this was on a Wednesday and very fortunately I was in there by Saturday and um, and that's where my journey begin from uh, sorry from a recovery perspective and um, they introduced me to like the concept of alcoholism or addiction you know, the fact that I have this spiritual malady that you know I sort of spoke about in terms of like that almost internal warfare about not feeling good enough feeling less than and, and all the rest of it uh, and then why a drink or a drug is so appealing to me but then also that I suffer with an obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body and the allergy of the body is is simply that at some point in my drinking and using career I crossed over this sort of invisible line where I had, if I had sufficient reason the ability to stop on my own accord and the reality is that the consequences were nowhere near severe enough uh, for me to have stopped at that point Mm -hmm. in time and that when I put a drink or a drug inside me it sets off this chemical reaction this craving for more and that there's no amount of more that is going to satisfy that. Mm. And no amount will tell my brain to turn that off. Mm. So I'm off and running. And it's why the, the times when I said I was only going out for one or two after work, and I meant that with my heart of hearts, I meant it. And, um, and then I'm in an Uber at 5am or whatever the case may be. And you know, the 99 times out of 100 that you know, it went wrong. And it went like that every single time, but my brain would believe the lie. You know that one, because I'd set off that allergy, um, and I had no control about whether it was going to be the two or if it was going to be two a.m. or five a.m. or however long. And then the mental obsession that that either it's going to be all right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I said, I've got all this evidence that goes to no shit, When you drink or use, you turn into a dick. <laughs> you know you're gone. But my brain goes, you remember you walked in at 9 o'clock that time after you said you were going to, mm. expecting the fanfare and all the rest of it. <laughs> and it goes, yeah, it's going to be like that this time. And, you know, that's part of it. And then just the, like, the, the obsession, like just waking up thinking about it or that like, I'm not going to. Mm. You know, a normal person that doesn't suffer the way that I do doesn't wake up in the morning and go, you know what, I'm not going to take drink or drugs today. Mm. They just get up and brush their teeth and. it. <laughs> you know. Um and that that thought that you know, without the tools that I've I've picked up and, and learnt through through being in recovery, you know, that thought becomes an obsession, and that obsession becomes so irresistible that there is literally nothing that I can do other than drink or use and um, you know, I'd I'd be on a holiday Wheels of the plane touch that, you know, touch the uh, the runway at Heathrow or wherever I am. My brain goes, You can pick up when you go home. Mm-hmm. And I go, No, 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 it's right. I don't need to, it's been wherever I've been or whatever. And it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. And by the time I get home, I'm like, The dealer's text, it's all lined up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And my partner's gone to bed, and I'm drinking and using, unpacking and doing all the rest of it. And I've just, just gone like a week or two weeks, I had long about it, but my brain, like, that thought just grows and grows, becomes that obsession, and I, I'm powerless to say no to that, and the only way that, to get rid of that obsession is to you know, is to, to drink or use, and, and like I said, I became a, a daily cocaine user for many years, and um, so yeah, I had this introduction to the illness that I suffer with, and um, introduction to 12-step fellowships. And then they gave me some advice in terms of what to do when I left, um, and you know rehab is a, is a tiny, tiny part of my story. The reality is it just polished me up and got me um, ready to go out there and do what's necessary. Which is like you are talking about, like twelve-step fellowships and meetings and, and getting a sponsor and then starting to work the the respective twelve-step program that's part of that fellowship and. Um, I left that treatment centre on Friday lunchtime and I was in a meeting that night mm. in, um, in a church in the town near me. And I pulled up and I looked at everyone outside and they were happy and they didn't look like me. I was instantly looking for the differences and I wasn't a geezer and there was quite a few geezers out there and it was like boisterous and there was an energy and they were alive and I was judging these people and I went in and ultimately like they were you know affected by drugs and alcohol the same way that I was, you know, that I was in the right place and there was a solution in that room. And uh, there was people that were sat in front of me and they and they were sort of sharing their experience and it was almost like I couldn't marry up the person that I could see before me and the experience that they were sharing about because it was like you couldn't get this stuff from a textbook. Mm. You know, it's like that 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 lady that was trying to help me based upon courses and textbooks and all the rest of it just had no power to be able to help me and these people had a way of living that meant that they were drug and alcohol free and um and i wanted some of that and um i just kept doing it i just threw myself into it you know i made it my number one priority and everything else was a close second and um the days turned into weeks and Weeks turned in, into months, and, it, and um, it was hard work to begin with. Don't get me wrong. Like you know, if you if you want change, you have to make change. And um, my head would just do an on me in the early days. I'd be sitting on trains, coming home from work. I be like, going to myself. Was it that bad? Mm. Is it really worth it? You know, all of these stupid things, and I was just like what's the matter if you're like, just just go home and get to bed, because I was, a, I was this human being that had forgotten the basics of how to function. Mm. You know, if you're tired, sleep, if you're hungry, eat. Mm. If, you're lo- if you're lonely, you get connected with something. And the disease and addiction is, is such an isolating, lonely illness. You know, I, I felt like I was the only one that was doing these kind of things and I had such shame about them. And the reality was that there was all of these people out there, um, that were getting well you know. I'd sort of been in the stands for so long looking for my tribe and it turns out that my tribe was in these these church halls and community centres <laughs> and all of that all along and um, yeah, I remember six years before I came into recovery I was looking at the website of uh, a 12-step fellowship and I was there was a, a questionnaire on there about whether or not may or may not have a problem. And I ticked yes to like 90% of the questions on there. And, um, you know, I've never been 100% student, but, you know, that 10% was maybe enough for me. And then I looked at the steps and I saw the words God on there one too many times, which was one. <laughs> and I was like, nah, you know, it's, it's not that bad. You know, I, I, I think I can do this myself. Um, you know I had as I said I had that content prior to investigation it was going to keep me in everlasting ignorance mm. um, but as I said earlier I was beaten into this state of, of reasonableness where I was willing, I was I was open minded um, that I needed to do something different if I was going to get well and um, you know like my addiction had been so secretive and now it was out in, in the open amongst certain people that were close to me and it was get well or and live a life or don't lose everything and quite probably die Mm. but if you present someone with those two choices it's like go to a 12 step fellowship do what someone that's got well has suggested to you believe in a concept of a higher power um, and work a spiritual based program or go back to your old way of living and probably die. Mm. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, there's words on there that I don't agree with, you know, Mm. but I was raised in an agnostic household. It was neither celebrated nor was it discouraged, but it was just such an alien concept to me. But early days, there was an energy in that room. and People had what I wanted in there. Mm. So I stuck around and and whilst I was uncomfortable with the concept of, of a higher power or God, um i believe that other people believed you know people were talking with with depth and weight um and they were armed with the facts about themselves and about the illness that they suffered with um so i just went to as many meetings as possible and made it my number one priority and i I asked a man who had what i wanted to help me and it wasn't about Rolexes and, and Range Rovers and all that sort of thing it was uh it was a freedom that he had and the way that he conducted himself and um, he had a chat and uh, he asked me if I was willing to go to any lengths and you know being a chronic people pleaser that I've always been I said yes without having any idea what that meant Mm. I said yeah yeah I'll do it Um, so we embarked on this journey and we went through um, different sponsorship lines take people through a 12 step uh, programme in a different way but the the way that I went through it was that we we went through a book study and I got an education Mm -hmm. got an education about what I suffered with, about the hopelessness of that Um, and then the need to to have faith Mm -hmm. and then to work that program um, so that when it came to actually going through the step process I was fearless, I was thorough and I was absolutely willing to do what was necessary in order to get to get well, and don't get me wrong. At times, I walked freely into it, and there were times when I might have needed like a bit of a nudge. <laughs> um, definitely more so than others, and, and as a result of that, at different stages, I would sort of realise that all of a sudden like where I was, and I hadn't had a thought or an obsession about drinking or using for however long, and I couldn't even remember the last time. Hadn't, hadn't had to do something particular for it to go. It had just gone as a result of doing this stuff, and so then my faith grew from that. And mm. um, I went through this program, and um, and then I was told that I was able to go and help someone else. And uh, I was like, God, how am I going to do that? You know, like I, I came in here to get to get clean and to try and fix the. The disasters in my life and then i realized that i had a completely different purpose as well and uh, it was to help other men get well mm-hmm. and um you know i was introduced to the concept of service as well being of service to other people whether it was in a fellowship or, or just in general with my day-to-day life because what it was shown to me is that i'm selfish mm-hmm. i'm a selfish self-centered frightened man and um, mm-hmm. Look back through my life, and it was it was quite easy to see where being like you know those character traits um, would dictate in my life, and as a result of the way that I was living my life because of those uh, those character traits, you know, I had to change. As a result of that, I had to practice the opposite of those things. And um, as I said, I, I had the the privilege of being able to help other people, and I've seen I've seen men get well and. and Their their whole lives has changed. You know, families have sprung up, children have been born, and you know, people that were, you know, really dying, Mm -hmm. are now like functioning, healthy, happy members of the community, helping other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I just did not know that that was on offer when I when I came in. You know, I just came in to save my own skin. Mm -hmm. That was all I came in to do. And and um, you know, I had so much more than. Sort of bargaining for when I first came in. I, I was, I was really naive to the concept that getting clean just meant that life was going to be ace. And <laughs> like, if I was like an investor, like that, it was just going to be this upward, steady rise, and that life was just going to keep getting better and better and better. And um, the reality is that life shows up, good, bad, or indifferent, whether you're clean. some amazing experiences in recovery um, and I've also had some, some amazing experiences as a result of things that people don't really want to go through mm. um, you know, I've, I've seen my mum uh, diagnosed with cancer and then been able to support her through that treatment process and, and seeing her get the all clear um, I didn't make it about me you know, before it would have been self-pity do you know what I've got going on? Do you know how I'm on my mummys, all that sort of gear. Yeah. yeah. Um. I've been on holidays. I've climbed a volcano and watched the sunrise. <laughs> <laughs> the guy said to me, "Do you want to take the easy route or the hard route?" I said the hard route, and my girlfriend at the time she was absolutely <laughs> Um. You know, got married. Mm-hmm. Got a job. We've got a new job. Because I lost my job as a result. After I got clean,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I thought I'm going to show them I'm the guy that they you know that they hired all the rest of it. But there was uh, there was plans, Mm -hmm. you know, they had their own plans. But I mean, plans with the world for me, you know, I had this real as I said this 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 conception that everything was going to be ace. And the reality is that I don't get to control what's going to happen in the world. And um, and yeah, I lost my job quite quickly after getting clean. And um, yeah, I got a new job in the pandemic. Got my first ever promotion. <laughs> mad <laughs> Um, and and just able just to do life on on life terms. Like I said, like got married and had like everyone like, that I loved and care about there. No need to drink or use. Mm. You know, I've been to weddings uh, of other people, danced, and I can't dance. Well, we, can, <laughs> we can all dance, but I, you know I'm a bad dancer. And I just, I I just I had a good time, you know. I needed to drink to dance before yeah. um, yes as I said like, just life is a blessing today it's not always easy but you know, as a result of p- of working the tools that I've been given through being in a 12 step fellowship I'm able to handle life on life terms and, uh, and I show up each day and I do my best uh, and I try and help People and uh, as a result of working this stuff, I've recovered. Mm. I've recovered from that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Um, I don't possess over drinking or using anymore. Um, I'll never be cured. Mm. I'll never be cured. And I have to maintain the willingness and the discipline to continue to do this stuff because the reality is that this stuff kills seen it kill people that have got clean and got sober. Um, and that's the, the sad reality of this illness and there will be people that, that that succumb to this illness that will never find a twelve will never walk into a twelve step fellowship meeting. Mm. You know, there'll there'll be empty chairs in meetings all mm. over the country and all over the world today where an addict or an alcoholic could be sat in one of them and starting their journey. And um, I'm so grateful that, that I the opportunity to find myself in that seat and then to do what was necessary to to stay there and i and i had no intention of giving up that seat Um yeah i feel
0: very blessed and i think i leave it there thank that's you that's absolutely beautiful thank you Stu. <clears throat> thank you for your friendship as well um i didn't know that this life was an offer you know i um it's a lost little boy you know until i went through this process but you explained it beautifully and you've always been a a guiding light for me in recovery and someone i can talk to and relate to and going back through the steps is there any particular step that's like on the podcast i'm not going to discuss each step because mm. it's for each individual to enjoy that journey for themselves but any particular step that jumped out for you or a particular favorite or
1: I would suggest, um, four and five, mm. to be honest with you, you know, hear so many things at times. People going, oh, I've been doing it for a month, or I don't want to do it, and all those sorts of things. And, um, the reality is that that's my opportunity to, you know, to get out what's inside, mm. um, and to share it with someone else and completely take the power out of it. And, um, I'm very fortunate because I I started going through this process with a man when I first came in and um, the reality is that I didn't have the capacity to be fully honest with that man Mm -hmm. and um, this program requires absolute honesty. Mm -hmm. Um, And later on, I wasn't willing to do what was necessary and I could feel myself getting quite unwell Mm -hmm. mentally. it was probably a matter of time until I picked up a drink or a drug because life was getting really, really uncomfortable and I couldn't handle my reality um, and thank God that I chose to, to do that and, and ask someone to help me and by that point I was really ready yeah. and, um, and I worked for it fearlessly and thoroughly and, and, and I did what was necessary and um, shared this stuff that's been hanging around my neck like a, like a noose for so long and
0: um, Valier was that it just wasn't popular at all. No. You know, it was my gear. Mm. I think my sponsor was reading a crossword and I was telling him Because <laughs> it's my shit, isn't it? Yeah. It's like his stuff. You know, it's for me to, for him to create a space for me to free myself. You know, mm. um, and how beautiful in experience. What's your f- views on unity, fellowship? I mean, I love it.
1: like addiction is a lonely illness mm. um, you know in, for me it didn't start off lonely mm. it was sociable and in parties or pubs or whatever but you know, by the end it was just me um, and then to, to realise that, that there's this fellowship of people that you know not all of us are going to be fucked on the same day mm. you know <laughs> 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 like if you're struggling like, like phone numbers, like just, you know, just to be able to pick up the phone and just talk to someone because like, I mean, some of my powers are outside of the fellowship are a lot better now, a lot more conscious about mental health and everything else where, you know, I, I, and maybe because of like people like myself being, being um, an addict, there's made people that are aware of it more open to those conversations. But, you mm-hmm you generally don't feel like you can ring up like your your friends from down like that you used to drink with or whatever and go, you know what, I'm really struggling at the moment. Um, but that's not the case in the fellowship, you know, like I'm, I as I said, like I um I came into this place that was full of energy and, and they absolutely had what I wanted and um, very quickly like people were looking out for me and I was getting texts from people in the morning because people were coming up and giving me a hug and and washing your name and it would get your number and all the rest of it. And um mm-hmm. while it was a completely alien concept <laughs> to me then these texts started coming in like, I Hope you have a good day and you know, if you're struggling, reach out and all those sorts of things. Um, and it it was absolutely vital and it still is absolutely vital for me and now I get to sort of try and do that for others as well. And you don't have to be, you know, all the way through the steps to be of service to other people, to be able to be there for people and like we'd go out for for dinners after meetings and just learn to live like a normal life without drinking drugs and apart um, from being restaurants and we'd be the happiest loudest table I in the restaurant I mean. yeah just like and why wouldn't we be you mm. know like absolutely free mm. from 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 that what is what is a certain death sentence way that i drank and use, you know mm. um yeah i absolutely love unity and fellowship you know it's so important for for anyone whether you're a newcomer or, or if you're an old timer to, to be wrapped around
0: that this alone no. but we can do it together beautiful man what advice would you give to anyone who might be sat at home stumbled across this um, thinking about dipping their toe into recovery what would you say try it mm. you know the,
1: the pubs the drug dealers the licences they're all going to be there mm. they're going to be there in a year's time however long you know come in you can identify with you even a little bit of what I've said, whether it's in terms of like some of the things that maybe I've done or how I felt or how you felt or anyone else on this podcast, if you can identify with that at all then, then find just you know, go to a meeting. Maybe go to more than one. Try mm. different ones, you know, try it, find your tribe. Mm. You know, because if you if drugs and alcohol or drugs or alcohol shall I say, um are impacting your life to the point where you're listening mm. to a, a podcast about addiction um yeah you know, then see what's on offer. Mm. And as i said like the dealers and everything else they'll be there come and give this program everything like your life depends on it and see see what happens see how you feel and see if you want to go
0: back to that way of life Beautiful. what's your hopes for the future so because I ask this question, and the majority of people that I know are happy now. Yeah. You know, we're happy now, mm. and anything else seems like a bonus, really. Yeah. Um. But how do you see the future? I mean, you know, like when I was drinking and using, the definition and, and insanity is to do the same thing over and expect a different result. So mm. I know if I do today what I did yesterday, I'll remain sober. Yeah. So there is a, a life on offer for me. So what do you see the future as for you? To continue doing this stuff first of all, mm. you know, because it's
1: um consistency is is, is ultimately what's vital for mm-hmm. me. But you know, the work that I put in last week does not do anything for me going forward. Mm. It's about me showing up day in, day out and um, and that's always gonna need to be there in my heart. Key part of my life, but ultimately I want to live. because mm. you know, I spent so long existing. Yeah. I just want to live. I um, you know, hope that, that I'll have a family of my own. Um. And just to keep, like you know, just learning more about myself and being being the man that I was supposed to be, rather than the man that I've become.
0: Wow. That's absolutely beautiful. I think that's a a really poignant note to leave it on. I want to thank you, Stu, for coming down and sharing your knowledge around this stuff and uh for being a big part of my life we talk every day and yeah like she says you know i can't do this on my own but we can do it together and uh yeah would you be so kind as to lead us out in the usual way yeah serenity prayer my pleasure thank you for having me bobby
1: and uh yeah please join me in the serenity prayer using the word god as you do or hopefully will come to understand God. God, grant oh, us the serenity to, to accept, accept the, the things, things we cannot change, change. The, courage the courage to change, change the things we can, and the, the wisdom to know tonight. the difference. Amen. Amen. And notice that we went off on, on eyes and wheezes.
0: <laughs> 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 That's me because I'm selfish. The wee program. <laughs> God bless, Peter. See you on the next episode. We may refer to the source by different names.
2: God, the higher. cosmos, the source of the entire universe, the unified field, everything that is beyond the perception of the five senses. Just just received in our our news, and the details of this continuing story. and further details of this continuing story.